أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع ذنوبنا وطبيب نفوسنا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد وعجل فرجهم وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين واللعنة الدائم على أعدائهم أجمعين for the love of our beloved Prophet and his beloved progeny, please recite a second loud salawat. For the hastening in the return of our beloved 12th Imam, a third final loud salawat. I hope everyone is doing well. Inshallah, tonight we will continue with the tafsir of Suratul Insan. This is the first, the the fifth session rather that we are having on the tafsir of Suratul Insan. We ended here in the fourth session. We reached the end of verse number eight. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, "وَيُطْعِمُونَ الطَّعَامَ عَلَى حُبِّهِ مِسْكِينَ وَيَتِيمَ وَأَسِيرَ." These, this family, is a family who feeds. Miskina and the poor, Wayatim and the orphaned, Wa and the captive. And we talked about how the beauty of what the Ahlul Bayt did, what had multiple aspects to it. One aspect of this good deed that they did was the idea that they gave at a time that they were in need of themselves. They gave at a time where they themselves were fasting, they themselves were hungry, as we read in the hadith or in the ahadith. And this is something that is praised and hailed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse. The other aspect that we also talked about was that those who came to the door of the Ahlul Bayt, these were not individuals that the Ahlul Bayt were related to. These were not individuals who other people cared about. These were not friends and relatives of the Ahlul Bayt. No, many of them, it seems as though from the verse, they were just strangers. Because the verse says, Miskinan, a or a miskin, a poor person, man wa asira, you know, an orphan, a captive. And what we understood from this is that when the Ahlul Bayt wanted to give from their wealth, when they wanted to host somebody, it wasn't the type of giving that was only done for their friends and their relatives. And we talked about this last session that this is one of those fundamental flaws that we have that started to make its way even into our family gatherings and more so into the religious gatherings as well. Especially when we you know, gather guests to feed them, right? we invite them to food. Many times you will find that we are inviting those who, alhamdulillah, they already have enough to eat. And so what we suggested was to take some of this if I'm budgeting, for example, if I want to have a gathering like this in the name of the Ahlul Bayt, if I really want to walk in the footsteps of the Ahlul Bayt, instead of taking all of the budget that I have, instead of taking all of the money that I have, and pouring it into these friends and relatives of my own who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward me for hosting them, of course, but who at the same time have more than enough to feed themselves who are not dependent on this meal that I'm providing to them, what we suggested was to take some of this money, to budget it, to give to those who are truly hungry. And we said there is definitely reward for the one who invites his friends, his relatives, to come and sit and eat together. There's multiple hadith that speak 
of the reward of this deed, but there are even more mentioned for the one who feeds those who have no one to turn to, the one who feeds those who have no food, they have no person, they don't know where to go. And that is something that we have to pay attention to. So what the Ahlul Bayt did was special, it was beautiful for multiple aspects, not just because they gave in a time of need. They gave in a time of need to people that they did not need to give to. To people that if they had not given to, no one would sit there and judge them. No one would sit there and say, why didn't you give to them? You know, if you don't give to your friends or your relatives, sometimes people will judge you. Sometimes people will expect you to give to them. But then when someone comes that no one expects you to give to and you still give, this is what makes the Ahlul Bayt so special. Moving on to verse number 9, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, He's of course narrating and quoting this line from what the Ahlul Bayt were saying. We only give to you because of the pleasing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we want to do. For the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't want any thanks from you and we don't want any reward from you. We are fearful of our Lord of a day that is difficult. And we were talking about how, of course, in our hadith it's mentioned that people fall into three different groups. There's a group that worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of fear of hellfire. There's a group that worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of looking forward to entering heaven. And a third group who worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be worthy of worship, right? Or the group that the hadith refers to as Al-Ahrar. And of course the hadith says this is the best form of ibadah. But the question that's raised here is this, if the Ahlul Bayt, of course if anyone falls into this third group, of course it has to be the Ahlul Bayt. I mean, who, who else would fall under this group? But if the Ahlul Bayt fall under this group, and they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not because they fear Him, but because they find Him worthy of worship. If that's why they give to the poor, for example, in this particular case and scenario, then why is it that the next verse, verse number 10 says, Inna nakhafu, we're fearful. How is it on one hand we say the Ahlul Bayt, they do not give out of fear, but on the other hand we say they fear. How are these two compatible with one another? This might seem like a contradiction to many of us. But in reality, when you delve into the answer to this question, you actually this actually will unveil for us and uncover for us a very important principle within the religion of Islam. A very important principle as it relates to the way I'm supposed to look at the Day of Judgment. And that is this. In Islam, fearing the Day of Judgment and giving and worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not out of fear, but because out of your love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and out of the fact that you think He's worthy of worship, these two are completely compatible with one another. They're not contradictory. In other words, you can fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and still not do things out of fearing Him. Yes, the normal individual, you and I, Yes, we do things out of fear for the most part. Maybe we do it out of fear or maybe we do it out of looking forward towards heaven. Yes? But as it relates to the one who actually falls under the third group, he worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
because he finds Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala worthy of worship, it is possible for this person to fear the day of judgment while he doesn't do his good deeds for that fear. What does that mean? That means that while he has that fear in his heart, that's not the main motivation for him to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No, he worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he finds Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala worthy of this worship out of the love that he has for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But at the same time, he fears the day of judgment. So how does this work? How do these two compatible with one another? If you want to think about it, these are different levels. And when you pass one level and you move on to level number two, it doesn't mean you lose level number one. The first level is the one who fears the day of judgment. If you and I do good deeds because we have fear of the day of judgment, this is not a bad thing. Now we'll talk about this more, how atheists raise this objection and raise this question of you're being selfish. You know, you do good deeds simply either because you're afraid or because they give you a promise that you're going to be rewarded, you know, elsewhere. And so what you're doing in terms of your good deeds is just another form of selfishness. You're just being selfish, right? You wouldn't do it if there weren't those who would reward you. So we'll talk about that in just a second. But hold on to that for now. The first level, and if I'm able to accomplish even this first level, this is a big step. This is a big achievement. Is that I stay away from sin because of the fear that I have for the day of judgment. If I'm able to have my faith reach that point, that in and of itself is a big achievement. But then the one whose faith grows, the one whose faith goes even beyond that point. Now he is so close with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he does these good deeds or he stays away from this haram, not because of that fear, but because of the love that he has with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of the fact that he finds Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be his true master. This person that has now graduated from level one to level two, it does not mean he loses that level one. Doesn't lose that first level of faith he still finds the day of judgment to be something that is fearful. Though the reason why he does different things is not that fear because he's graduated from that level, right? If you take, you know, math at a, at a you know, first grade uh, level and then you graduate from that, the first grade math still holds true for you even though you may not be using first grade math at this point, right? You might be using high school math at this point, but first grade math is still holds true for you, right? Two plus two still equals four for you. It's a little bit of the same thing with the Ahlul Bayt. That at the same time that they don't do things out of that fear, this does not contradict them having that fear. And in fact, these two go hand in hand with one another. Why? Because the one who graduates, he reaches the point where he is so close with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he does things out of his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not out of fear anymore. At that point, he has a very, very close relationship and a very deep understanding of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the more you get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more you understand his greatness, the more there is a natural fear that builds inside of you. And a good analogy that will help us understand this a little bit better is this. If you were to go out there and meet someone who is very important to you, imagine you have someone who's your idol, someone who's your mentor, someone that you've looked up to for 20, 30, 40 years of your life. You're going to go meet the president of a particular country, for example. 
right? Before meeting them, though you're not afraid that they might steal your money, you're not afraid that they will hurt you, you're not afraid of any of those things, but somehow, someway, you start to panic before meeting them. Somehow, someway, you start to sweat. Sometimes, somehow, someway, you feel a bit anxious, you feel nervous. Why? Because you know how great this individual is. You know the achievements of this person. If you were to speak in the presence of this person, your voice would start to shake. It would shiver. It would, you know, your voice might even break down in the middle of your talk. Why? Is it because you're afraid this person will take your money? Is it because you're afraid this person will hurt you? No, it's not any of those things. It's just because you understand the magnitude of the character of this individual. You understand how great this individual is. So if we say that Ahlul Bayt have reached the point where they are so close with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they, that, that they do things out of this relationship that they have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That doesn't mean that they lose that fear that they have of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And it's different from our fear. The fear we have of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, I've done some wrong things. I'm fearful of the punishment. For the Ahlul Bayt, it's not that. For the Ahlul Bayt is, understanding how great Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, understanding how much power He is that prevents them from ever even doing anything wrong. It's a different type of fear. So these two are completely compatible with one another. They do not go against one another. And from this, we understand a very important principle when it comes to Islamic faith. And that is this, that when we grow as human beings in terms of our faith, there should never be a point where we lose the fear of the Day of Judgment. Because if there is anyone who has the greatest faith, it's the Ahlul Bayt, and they themselves say that we fear the Day of Judgment. If I lose that fear that I have of the Day of Judgment, of the greatness that it has, the magnitude that it has, then that's a bad sign. That means my faith is not growing. You know, sometimes in some circles, the fear of the Day of Judgment, it is downplayed. The fear of the Day of Judgment, it is spoken of as if it's something that's not very important or even sometimes something that's negative, right? People speak of it in the sense of, yeah, what is this fear that you are talking about? No, here we are, the Ahlul Bayt themselves. They are saying, Inna You're not going to become more spiritual, than the Ahlul Bayt. And the Ahlul Bayt are telling you that if you truly come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your fear of that day will grow. It's not the type of fear though that will paralyze you. It's not the type of fear though that will make you worried unnecessarily. No, no, no. It's the type of fear, of course, that will stop you from doing anything that's wrong simply because you understand the magnitude of that day. Simply because you understand the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So while they grow in their faith, that fear still remains. And I will tell you this, brothers and sisters, if you ever come across any speaker, any preacher, anyone who speaks on behalf of Islam, anyone who speaks on behalf of the Ahlul Bayt, and they downplay the fear of the Day of Judgment, they downplay the idea that the human being is going to be held accountable for his deeds. This is not the way that Ahlul Bayt taught us and preached Islam to us. Yes, doesn't mean that I have to be afraid every single second of my life. But knowing that I will be held accountable, this is an important principle in Islam. 
And anywhere you look in the verses of the Quran, it's very difficult to miss this. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of this over and over again. But now, yes, should I be doing things out of fear? This is where we will move on to the answer to the second question. Because like we said, many atheists raise this objection. Richard Dawkins, in his famous book, The God Delusion, this is one of the major issues that he raises. With regards to anyone who believes in any faith, not just Muslims, right? Of course, that book is not even intended for Muslims in particular. But anyone who believes in any faith, he says, listen, you guys do good deeds, but you don't do good deeds because of the good deeds. You don't do it because it's the right thing. You do it because you have fear that someone is going to punish you. Or you do it because someone has promised you a wonderful, great reward. This is another form of being selfish. You're sacrificing, but the only reason why you're sacrificing is because it serves yourself. So what do we say to this? What is the answer to this question? The reality is that yes, initially from the Islamic perspective, initially the human being starts out like this. Initially Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala incentive, incentive, you know, he, he has an incentive for the human being. That the human being starts to get going, starts to move in the right direction. What is that incentive? Heaven and hell. These are incentives. Now, if we understand how the human being is created and how heaven and hell comes into, into reality, it's not so much that God you know, creates heaven and hell and then makes it an incentive for the human being. That's not really how it is. Heaven and hell have a direct correlation with your deeds. Heaven and hell in reality are nothing but our deeds. Now that's a separate discussion for another time. If we're just looking at it in a very simple manner. This is an incentive. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to give the human being this incentive for the human being to do the right thing, it's worth it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done this. But is this where the human being is supposed to stop? Is this where the human being should, should no longer move forward? No, that's not where the human being is supposed to stop. The human being is supposed to move from that point, of course. He's supposed to graduate from that and reach a point where he does good deeds simply because they're good. But... Initially, yes, this is where the human being starts out from. He starts out from a point of doing these good deeds because he feels like this is in his own best interest. And even that takes a leap of faith because the reality is that from a materialistic perspective, no one has guaranteed that reward for him. That's the difference. I know, for example, God forbid, if I were to steal from someone, the money is right there in front of me. I can take that money and buy something with it today. But if I don't steal or if I give from my own wealth in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's very difficult. It takes a leap of faith for me to do that, right? Because I'm now speaking of this reward, but is the reward tangible in front of me? It's not. The reward is not in front of me. I have to believe that there's this other world. I have to believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to reward me. So I, it's difficult to do this. It's not as simple as saying you're giving up on this reward, for example, or you're giving up on this pleasure in this world because there's another reward. Where's this other reward? I have to believe in it. I'm taking a leap of faith. I'm, I'm going through a hard time to reach that other reward if you think about it. So yes, the human being might start out with this incentive, but this is not where the human being was supposed to stop. 
the human being was supposed to move on from this. Okay, moving on to verse number 11. Then he says this, Because of this fear that they have, because of this close relationship that they have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they don't end up doing anything wrong. For there to be any consequences for them on the Day of Judgment, therefore they are protected from the evil on that day. And of course we have to reiterate that the Day of Judgment is not evil in and of itself. The Day of Judgment is nothing but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showing a mirror, putting a mirror in front of the human being. Showing the human being what he has done. If it's evil, it will show up as evil. And if it's good, it will show up as good. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we have protected them from the evil of that day, it's because they have never done anything wrong. Therefore, they are protected from any evil coming their way on that day. And then he says this, And he meets them on that day, He welcomes them with joy and happiness. And this is really something to think about, brothers and sisters. One of the greatest blessings of the Day of Judgment is when you return to your Lord and your Lord, metaphorically, of course, in my words, He smiles upon you. The one who created you, the one who, who had your back throughout all this time, the one who was watching you day in and day out. When this one, this creator of yours, is happy with you, this is the greatest of blessings of the Day of Judgment. This is why the Quran in Surah At-Tawbah, it mentions there is Jannata Adna. There are these gardens for the people in heaven and they will go through this blessing and that blessing and whatnot. And then he says, وَرِضْوَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ And then the idea that they have pleased their Creator, that is the greatest of blessings. ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ That is the greatest of blessings and rewards on that day. The Quran says, when the Ahlul Bayt come, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He welcomes them openly, with joy, with happiness. This is such a wonderful scene. If you want to think about it and just put it into perspective, think about this. Right? Imagine you walked into the Day of Judgment and you saw the Prophet, you saw Ali ibn Abi Talib. Yes, Quran, you know, if you look at the hadith literature of both schools of thought, Shia and Sunni, both say that you will see the Prophet on that day. Imagine you walked onto the Day of Judgment and you see the Prophet smiling at you. What reward is there that's greater than this? What blessing is there that is greater than this? It says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala welcomes them in this way. I'll just give one analogy before we end inshallah. Imagine, you've seen sometimes, when people come up to get the rewards, a reward that they, that they have won or rather a, an award that they have won. Right? When this celebrity comes to accept this award, of course there are thousands, sometimes millions of fans who are shouting the name of this person, they are cheering for this person. Some of them might, might even be shedding tears for this person. People who this celebrity has never even met in their life. He has all of these fans, right? And he might come up on the stage, he might wave his hand a little bit, he might look at them, they might look at him. But if you pay attention, when these individuals, out of all of this love and affection that, that they are being showered with, the point where it really hits home with them, the point where it's so overwhelming, 
the joy and the happiness is so overwhelming for them is not when these fans who don't even know the celebrity shout and and and, and are calling his name and you know are, are are cheering him on it's not then the joy and happiness the greatest reward that this person receives when he wants to go and get his award is when at times you will see this is when his mother his father, his brother, his sister, his family is sitting in the crowd. And the people who sacrificed for him, the people who worked hard for him, the people who watched after him day in and day out, when they look upon this individual and they smile at him and he sees them smiling at him, usually that's when this individual will actually start to break down. That's when he'll actually start to cry as he's giving maybe his acceptance speech, for example. Why? Because these are the people who are the closest to him. These are the people that he had the closest relationship with. And if they are proud of him and they are happy with him, then this is overwhelming joy for him. This is more than anything else. Similarly, when the human being makes his way onto the Day of Judgment, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the Ahlul Bayt, they look upon the human being and they smile upon the human being. This joy and happiness is beyond anything, any blessing that the human being will ever experience. Because these are the individuals who are the closest to him. And he feels like he made these individuals proud in his life. These individuals are happy with him. Right? This is why the Quran says, Radiyallahu anhum radu'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is happy with them, they're happy with him. This is the best of, of blessings on that day. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward them because of the patience that they displayed. Why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says we are we are going to reward them because of their patience? Why not? Because of the deeds that they carried out. Why not because of their prayer? Why not because of anything else? That is something we will leave inshallah for the following session. Why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pinpoints the patience of these individuals in particular? Thank you dear brothers and sisters for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Quran and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is mizaninstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects inshallah assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuh